Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, we have Barbara and Mo Simeon. They're the co-founders of Sundays, which is a direct-to-consumer furniture and homewares brand, Vancouver-based. It's been around for a few years now. I want to get into just the launch of the brand, the strategy of it. You guys are also a married co-founded team, and so I'd love to talk about that, how that's been going, because I imagine uh, that's that can bleed into personal and professional and all those different things. And then just what your plans are for the future. But Barbara, Mo, how are you guys doing? Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having us, Kale. Yes. Hi, Kale. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So why don't we start with, you can you can give the, the story behind Sundays and sort of the division of labor. Whenever I talk with co-founders, I'm always interested in uh, what different parts that you do. So Barbara, let's start with you. What is Sundays and what what is your role overall with the, the company? Yeah, so Sundays was started by actually four of us in fall of 2019. And we really saw an opportunity for, you know, a curated furniture brand with high quality pieces. We started feeling like furniture shopping could feel quite overwhelming. And as parents of young kids, wanted pieces to look good, but also be functional for our life. So um, we got together with two other co-founders. Everybody had furniture experience except for myself. And we started meeting on Sunday mornings um, as a side hustle. We all had other full-time jobs at the time. And, you know, when our branding agency proposed the name Sundays, it really stuck. And we wanted to evoke that feeling of Sunday morning with um, everything we do from, you know, how you shop, our site uh, to the whole delivery experience. Got it. I want to actually, I'm going to stay with you. We'll get to you Mo, in a second. But Barbara, I, I was doing some research about you and you have a pretty interesting storied background in many different uh, areas. You've worked at the UN, if I'm not mistaken, and then also uh, a salad company, right? So can you just talk a little about like what you were doing before Sundays and how you decided ultimately to go into the furniture space? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, Sundays is not the first business that Mo and I have co-founded together. Field and Social, which is the salad business, uh, was one that we'd previously co-founded. But um, yeah, my background is I studied international relations and community development, worked in the nonprofit sector, and then uh, worked at the UN headquarters in New York. Um, so Mo and I had a chance to live in New York for three years, which was amazing. And then we um, had our first child, we moved back to Vancouver to be closer to family and really saw an opportunity for a healthy salad concept after all the myriad of salad places that we saw, you know, when we, we were living on the East Coast and Vancouver being such a healthy city. Um, so I sort of serendipitously um, ended up being the one to step in and run the business day to day and it grew to four locations. Um, yeah, so that's what I did before Sundays. Got it. All right, Mo, you're up. So uh, what what is your overall role with Sundays? And what were you, it sounds like you were part of uh, Field and Social as well. Yeah, so um, I was, uh, I was actually, I've been in the furniture business. Uh, it's a family business that we have that I've been a part of since I was younger. So that's kind of the furniture experience that I had. Barbara and I, as a as the side hustle, kind of did field and social. Um, she's the one who kind of stepped in and, and was running the day to day. And I was a little bit more on the outside working on my day job. And then um, when we founded Sundays, um, my kind of role within Sundays is predominantly around the the supply chain, the logistics, the factories, um, and kind of the finances. So that's kind of my my area within the business. Got it. And so when you say you were working in furniture before as like a family business, what does that mean? Was it a, a mom and pop Vancouver fa- furniture shop? What were you doing? 
Our business is a, it's a B2B business. So um, it's predominantly, yeah, wholesale selling to other retailers. Got it. Got it. So what was, you know, you, you launched in 2019. Uh, and that's a pretty interesting time to start a business because of, you know, 2020, 2021, 22, where we are now. So what was the initial concept with Sundays when you were first launching? Um, and how did you try to go to market? And what were your first products? Barbara, why don't you start? Sounds good. Yeah. So we launched to be just e-com, primarily an e-com business. That was the vision for the business. Small curated line. We started very small. I would say like under 10 styles of sofas, a few coffee tables and some end tables. So living room items. Um, And then the pandemic hit very shortly after our launch. It was, you know, and it was a humble launch. We launched locally in Vancouver, where we're from, really through word of mouth and friends and family, We didn't have a large or much of a budget, to be honest, for marketing and digital advertising. Um, So it was like the word spread fairly organically. And um, I would say we were humbled by the response. It definitely took longer to take off the ground than what what we had initially anticipated. Took about a year until we started seeing some traction. And there was definitely points where we looked at each other and with our co-founders like, oh, Maybe this was a maybe this was a bad idea. Like we thought this would be easier. The product's beautiful, the site's great, the brand's cool. Like where are the sales? Mo, can you talk a little about how you sourced everything at the beginning because it sounds like you you know, you you had a background in in being able to do that. So how did you find these products and what was what made them different from other DTC sofas at the time? Yeah, so on the design side, our other one of our other co-founders, he's um that's predominantly his expertise. And so he did do a lot of designs in-house. And um and the great thing is that we did have the you know, the 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 contacts and the factories um, in Asia that we already worked with. So we were able to take these designs, take them to the factories and have them produced. Um, and especially during the during the pandemic, um, as factories got so busy, uh, it was actually it was very difficult to as a new company to get any factories to work with new customers. So those relationships that we had from before really helped us kind of get going even at a time when you know factories were saying no to most new customers. So you said it took about a year for things to really pick up. Was that in tandem with what we at Modern Retail have called like the home goods boom, which was everybody was stuck at home and making their their houses a little bit more beautiful? Is that what really helped bring it, you know, to to where it was or what were the dynamics at play? I would say that I f- I feel like the the boom kind of started a little bit before then when Sundays kind of started to to gain traction. So I think we we probably started to gain traction about four to five months after that. Um, so I, I think it was, but it was closely timed, I guess. Yes. Got it. Got it. And Barbara, anything to add or what did you, like, what would you say caused when things started to hit, what 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 helped that happen? Yeah, we we switched up um, some of our digital strategy. So we brought on a new digital agency. Started the the product lineup was the same. Um, we did trial a pop up, so a physical activation in Vancouver. We had an opportunity. There were so many empty spaces um, at the time with the pandemic. And so um, that allowed us to meet customers in person and sort of spread the word in a different way. And so I think it was a combination of those factors and then sort of externally what was happening with the industry and people's interest in, in the home sector. What is the makeup geographically of Sunday's customers? Is it mostly people in Canada? Is it the United States? Is it a mix of both? 
So we're predominantly still um, Canada right now. Um, and within Canada, you know, we've, we've, as I think Barbara mentioned earlier, we have kind of gone market by market. So like we started in Vancouver and then we, you know, went after the Toronto market. So we do have these clusters in, in different markets. And the U.S. now kind of since about the last 12 months has been an area of, um, of growth for us. So can you give a little background and either of you can answer this, but I know the DTC furniture competitive landscape in the US and there are a bunch is it this are you competing with the same people uh in Canada as you as one would in the US or is it more of an open terrain would you say so in in Canada I think what we find is um that we have some of these D2C uh some of these D2C retailers um, that are in the US they don't necessarily make the experience in Canada as seamless like you may need to buy it from the US you may need to cross it uh, bring it across the border yourself there might be some you know fees that you won't be aware of at the time of purchase um, for getting it across the border etc so um there are you know all those players are still here within Canada it just might be a little bit more difficult to buy from some of them and then you have the other D2C um, retailers who who do have a presence in Canada um, and also have a presence in the U.S. in both places. You know, doing this market by market strategy, how have you have you just pretty much chosen? Like, how have you chosen where to go? Is it just the biggest cities that are in Canada and then hoping to expand from there? Have you changed your marketing messaging for each city? Barbara, how have you approached that overall branding project? Yeah, absolutely. So we do, even though we ship, sort of we'll ship anywhere in Canada and, and across North America. In fact, we'll sort of concentrate marketing efforts, layer on any PR, content partnerships, digital advertising in those markets. And density has been a, f- a factor that we've been considering, um, you know, to gain some efficiency on that marketing spend and then also efficiency in terms of delivery partners and and that final mile delivery, which is a big challenge in our business. Yeah, actually, Mo, can you go into how you do the logistics? Because I know that's the big differentiator for a lot of furniture players and a lot of them try to you know, essentially outsource it or leave it up to the customers. And that makes for a pretty awful experience more often than not. So how have, how have you approached that? And has that, how has that fit into your overall business model and bottom line? Yeah. So it's, it's been an important part of our business right from the beginning. Um, So as we kind of started the, started the business, one of the things we wanted to do, um, which we felt wasn't the norm back then and, and still isn't necessarily is, you know, standard white glove delivery. So anytime someone's buying something that is a large parcel, it's not a UPS or FedEx item, um, we want to be able to deliver it into the home, remove the packaging, do all the assembly. And that's just our standard that, you know, we don't want to charge extra for. Um, We feel like that's the only way that the delivery should happen so that the customer could have a great experience. Um, And so it's, it is always a challenge in our industry. Um, We do outsource I think what we what we did at the beginning is we tried to partner with a national, you know, freight company. And I think the learning that we had from that was, you know, we're not necessarily a big enough player to get their attention, and so we don't necessarily get that service or our customers don't get that service that we think they deserve. So what we've done is we've started to partner with local carriers in each of the markets that we operate in. So someone who we can build a great relationship with, that we can escalate things that they need to escalate, and we can kind of get the service um, that we think our customers deserve. And that's been um, a successful model for us. Is that 
on the business side, sort of a loss leader where if you have a good customer experience, ideally that will grow? Or are you, is that, is, are the financials able to work such that you're able to provide white glove delivery? So the, the model works when with the cluster kind of model. So if we, where it works for us is places where we do have a good volume of business within that region. Um, and so sometimes as we go into a new market and a new region, exactly that, like it's kind of a lost leader to build the volume. Once we build the volume, then the numbers can start to make sense. Got it. Got it. And how, like, can you walk me through, Barbara, the design evolution and the product evolution? So you start. You said you started with sofas and coffee tables. Is that correct? Is that where you are now? Or how have you, how have you expanded that? Great question. Yeah. So we started just with living room pieces. And over time, we moved into dining room and bedroom. But what we've really stayed committed to is that curated um, line. So, you know, not going very broad in any of those categories, but really selecting the best pieces for our customers and iterating on those pieces. So we're constantly listening to our customers, whether it's through social channels or now we have a couple of showrooms. What is the response to some of the products that we might launch initially in, you know, one finish and one size? For example, our one of our dining room collections, the Field Collection, launched in one size and one finish. That comes now now comes in three sizes and three finishes. Um, so really taking that kind of approach. So I would say um, we've stayed very true to sort of like the quality pillar, the high design standard, and then the curation. How do you go about deciding when you're going to get into a, a new a new SKU? Is it just based on customer demand? Is it because it fits in the overall room that you're focusing on? And how long until you know it? When especially for things that are you know so high priced, I imagine it's difficult to to add that to the to, you know to your overall balance sheet. So how do you go about con- conceptualizing that when you're dealing with such high priced items? So when we um, when we look at an individual category, we kind of we look to see if there's something that we're missing. Like if we're looking at, for example, dining tables, you know, we'll look to see, you know, are we missing a certain size or a certain shape um, or a certain material that we want to bring? And if we have that void, then we kind of go after filling that void. Or the other option is. We sometimes find that, you know, obviously not everything works. We'd love, we'd love every product to come in and, and work, but that's not the reality of it. So sometimes, you know, we have a product that is, is not performing. It is an underperformer. And then we say, well, we got to find a way to replace this with something better. And, and so then we know that we're going to exit that out of the business and then bring in something new to replace it. But you're absolutely right. Because we don't bring in too many products, we, we have to really pick and choose when we decide to bring something in. Um, and, you know, we are buying inventory and bringing inventory in, you know, before anyone seeing it or, or purchasing it from a customer perspective. So we need to, you know, we need to make sure we we feel good about that product. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So what is the average lead time uh, for someone in one of your, so let's say Vancouver or Toronto? If I order a sofa, when will I get it? So most of our products are in stock, but we do do pre-order as well. I think, you know, right now, 80 to 85% of our products are in stock. And so if you're in Vancouver, you know, we have a warehouse in Vancouver, we get that delivery out within, you know, three to 10 days in that kind of range. If it's uh, Toronto, you know, we also have a warehouse there. So it it depends where the inventory is located. If it's going to be in Vancouver and has to transfer over, you know, it'll take an extra, you know, seven to 10 days to kind of get across the country. Um, So it it depends where our inventory is positioned. And at the same time, you know, we do do pre-orders if it's not 
not in stock. But our goal is to predominantly be in stock. Got it. So yeah, I feel like there's a, a few, and some of them are more popular than others, where they're they're built, they're made to order, which is, um, you know, there there are a lot of things to be said about the sustainability side of things. And I want to get into you guys about sustainability because I know that you do a lot on the sourcing side. But uh, with that, there's always the issue of you order a sofa and then you have to wait anywhere from two to eight months for it to come. And so has that ever, have you ever thought about doing that model or was that just like, no, we, we want it, we want it to be quick and we want people to be able to get it? Yeah, we haven't done made to order, um, but we have, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we did have times where lead times were quite a bit longer. So it could have been, a, you know, a several months for, for the lead time of an item, but it wasn't necessarily uh, the made to order model where we would wait, take the order and then go and, and produce it. That's not something that we've, um, that we've done yet. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. Got it. I wanted to talk with you, Barbara, about the overall branding and and the storytelling because uh, I it seems that a lot of furniture brands the, the often they seem very similar or they're targeting a similar demographic. How have you gone about trying to make Sundays really pop? And who would you say the target demographic is? And is it? easier to hit them or is it different to hit them in Canada than it is in the United States where there might be a little bit more brand saturation in cities like New York or San Francisco or something like that? Yeah. So maybe I'll start with that second part of the question first and then I'll flip to the first side. But I would say the U.S. is for sure harder, you know, bigger uh, competition. We don't have just some of the relationships that we have in on our home turf. Um, so definitely harder in terms of target demographic, I would say we're targeting a similar demographic in both countries, both families, but what we've families and kind of that younger professional, um, so that's sort of 25 to 40 year old demographic. And we've actually been surprised as how much of our business is on that younger end of the demographic as well. Um, in terms of messaging, I think, you know, we really try to have a lot of fun with the brand and bring bring lightness and warmth um, to the furniture. So even though we're very high quality designed pieces, we never want it to feel cold or inaccessible. And so we really try and portray that, you know, whether it's through our own content or through the content partners that we partner with so that people could really view our pieces in their own spaces and see how um, they would come to life in their own home. Can you talk about the content partners? What has been the content strategy? Has it been influencers? Has it been, you know, uh, affiliate on, on websites? What have you been focusing on to get in front of people's eyeballs? Yeah, I would say a bit of both. So initially, it was actually part of the strategy was to help get the word out, but also just to get lifestyle images, because shooting furniture is actually quite... Uh, shooting furniture is quite logistically challenging and expensive. And so it's also a great way to get content. Um, So over time, we've done influencer partnerships. And just now going into 2023 is when we're exploring affiliate marketing as another channel as well. Who have you targeted in terms of influencers? And was it, were they very regional? Was it sort of like, we know that the, you know, there's someone who really resonates in the Vancouver area who would be a perfect spokesperson for you? Yes, we really look for partners that love our pieces first and foremost. You know, these are pieces that they're that are going to live in their home for years to come. And so, you know, we look at what types of content are they featuring, what is sort of their aesthetic and style, 
And then their audience and engagement, how engaged is their audience and their content and whether, you know, it might be a fit for our partnership. Got it. Can you talk about the showrooms? So you said you've had a few showrooms. You During the pandemic, you, you did a pop-up. What has been the strategy with that? And has that been specifically just for brand building? Or do you sell pieces there or both? How, how have you approached that? Yeah, it's both. So we started with pop-ups in Vancouver and Toronto that have now turned into permanent showrooms. And we're going to be opening a couple of other showrooms going into 2023 in Canada and hopefully in the U.S. as well. Stay tuned for that. Um, But yes, it's a great way for our customers to see our products in real life. You know, it's a big investment when you're buying a piece of furniture. And so to really um, see the quality of the fabric, we have a lot of performance fabrics, the quality of our solid woods, chat with our teams. And then the other benefit is our own customer care teams are able to view the product in real life, interact with it, and really helps with product knowledge for customers that they're assisting online. And in terms of whether we, sorry, just to answer your second question, whether we stock product or, you know, do they order? Um, So um, we don't have any cash and carry items in in the store, but we would deliver them as we do when they order online. Got it. And have you found, can you talk about how, what you've noticed in terms of sales lift with the stores or marketing or how do those two fit into each other and have, you know, are they quantifiable? I would say we've definitely seen that it's now become an important part of our strategy due to the performance of the stores, not only how, you know, how the stores themselves are doing, but what kind of lift that's causing for the e-com side in the markets that we're in. And so as a result, even though we started as an e-com only brand, we now really see an opportunity to have showrooms in those key markets. Got it. And do you, I mean, like if going forward, if, you know, as you continue to grow and you go into new geographies, how would you think of those showrooms? Would they be pure marketing? Would th- would they would you start considering them as a sales channel and try to open like bigger stores? Or what what are your thoughts on that? Mo, do you want to take this one? Sure. Yeah. So um, I think as we go into new markets, I think we're always going to look at as a possibility of a a store. I think it's an important part, as Barbara mentioned. Um, we we do like the current model of of smaller stores give people uh, an idea of the brand, let them interact with the brand, let them see the quality in general of the products. Um, we still see it as a sales channel. We still you know, do a good amount of sales from within the stores, um, but I don't see us necessarily going to a point where we start to continue to grow and grow and make much bigger stores that, that hold all the product or, or anything like that. So we, we're pretty happy with the efficiency of the the current kind of model that we have with the stores. Got it. Uh, I wanted to ask you about sourcing. And Mo, you kind of hit on this just, you know, in in the earlier part of this interview. But uh, we recently, I think, Barbara, we interviewed you for one of our stories about how we're seeing an influx of of brands talking specifically about how they source their products uh, and, you know, giving giving a much more... People are caring a little bit more about where they're coming from so that they're not buying from the cheapest and most unsustainable sources. Can you talk about how you've approached that and whether your customers, do you think that more people care on the furniture side about where exactly they're getting their products from, what the fabric is, what the wood is, et cetera? Is that something that you, the kind of questions you get every day? Yeah, definitely. I think that is something that is, you know, on customers' mind more and more. Um, You know, a couple of things that we do, like on the sustainability side, you know, one one big initiative for us has been the packaging. Um, you know, years ago or even up to now, I mean, a lot of 
you know, furniture packaging has a lot of styrofoam in it. Um, and one of the things we've been making the effort to do is remove styrofoam um, from all of our packaging, go to more corrugated um, packaging. And it's something that we've already done. We've done it on many of our SKUs and we're continuing to do it on, on more and more. So in the next year to two years, you know, we plan to to have 90% of that styrofoam removed. So I think that's that's one thing we're doing. The other thing that we're doing is um, with the factories we work with, you know, we're ensuring that we use we do some external audits. We also understand where the raw materials come from. That's a big one now as well, like making sure that they're solid woods, whether it's solid oak or solid walnut, what sources they're coming from and kind of getting that whole chain and that custody chain uh, in our hands so we understand um, where they're getting it sourced from. Um, also using FSE woods. Um, that's something we're doing with some of our products. So um, it's, it's, I think it's something that is on customers' minds. It's on our mind and it's not something that happens overnight and we're not going to say that we're perfect at it, but it's something that we're putting good time and effort into it. Got it. Uh, and I would just add, if I may, just to that piece on the customer and product side, you know, we really try and reiterate a lot multifunctionality of any of our pieces. So we take that a lot into account when we're designing products. Can you use a you know console table as a desk or an end table that can also serve as a stool or a nightstand? And then also ways that you might be able to refinish, you know, solid wood pieces so that can really um, stay with you um, over the years. One more thing that I'll add, I, I missed earlier, is um, you know one of the one of the I think big issues in, in not just in our industry and in anything is is the returns, right? And so that is um, that pains us when there are um, returns, not financially for us, but just the waste that it that it does create. So um, it, it's important for us to really make sure that you know we have a great quality product. So when the customer you know does see it online, you know when they actually receive it, they're receiving something that is better than what they saw online. And also that's another part where the stores actually help us because the more sales that come through the stores, we've seen the data that there are less returns because they've been able to see it, they've been able to touch it. And so that actually helps us with um, less returns and ultimately uh, better for the environment. So you see a, a lower return rate from in-store purchases? Yeah. Do you have a, like, yeah. what is overall your return rate or is it on the lower side or how do you, how do you approach that? It, it is on the lower side. It's in the, um, you know, it's in the two to 3% mark. Um, so, so it is, it's on the lower side and, and specifically when we look at the sales that come from those stores at the, the POS side, we do have, um, that goes down even further. Got it. Got it. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Mo, because this is, it seems like it's in your blood, but have you ever thought about doing, uh, cause you, you come from the B2B furniture side of things, doing wholesale for Sundays, or is that just not at all what you guys would ever do? It's not, yeah, it's not on our mind. Um, it's not something we're looking to do in any time in the near future. Um, so I, I don't think so. Okay. Makes sense. I wanted to zoom out a bit and both of you can take this. I want to hear both your answers to this, but, uh, you know, you launched in 2019 and then, you know, that was right before, and then 2020 came in the midst of what we called, you know, when everybody was redesigning their homes, stuck at home. And now it seems a lot of home sales and furniture sales have cooled. Um, uh, what is that something that you have noticed? Has there been less of a demand? Has it been more difficult to find customers? And what? how have you approached this given that it's been such a volatile market over the last, you know, three to four years? Yeah, so, you know, we had amazing growth, um, you know, in the first few years of the business, you know, other than, you know, the first the first you know 12 months where it took a little bit of time to get going um you know 2021 was great growth 
2022, you know, that kind of growth continued in that first six months, but we definitely noticed, you know, the back half of 2022 where that growth did start to, to slow down and demand started to slow down. And we've still, we're, we're seeing it, we're facing it as well. Um, I think, you know, for us, maybe as a little bit of a smaller company, um, it's a little bit easier to stomach and we're still able to have growth numbers, even in Q3 and Q4 of, of 2022. But we've been, um, we're, we're going forward cautiously. We are conservative in our projections, you know, for this year that we're in right now in 2023. Um, and we understand that it might be a little bit of a tougher market for the next six to six to nine months. Has that changed things on the branding and advertising side for you, Barbara, uh, in terms of how you're approaching customers if there is a slight cool down? Yeah, I think, you know, we continue to focus on new challenge, uh, sorry, new channels, um, also in part due to like some of the inefficiencies we're seeing with digital advertising and how tricky ROAS is in that space. So that's one of the reasons we're starting to look into affiliate partnerships as well. Um, and then in terms of uh, messaging, like we just continue to focus on that high quality offering. And as Mo said, because we are a new brand and there are many markets, you know, that we haven't sort of fully launched in, we, we still do see opportunity for traction for Sundays, even go in this tough economy. Got it. And can you talk about the digital channels? Like I assume when you mention things like ROAS, you're predominantly talking about Facebook uh, uh, or Meta, I should say. But like, what what have you found works or what isn't working? Are things getting better on that side, especially when you are advertising such a high price product? It's you know th- that that's difficult. And so how, how how have you been approaching that beyond just diversifying towards affiliate? Yeah, the other way we've diversified. So we're, I would say we have a, a multi, you know, digital marketing uh, channel approach. So we're, we're dabbling in most of them. Um, we're starting to actually dabble a little bit in, in podcasts. Pinterest has been a fairly successful one for us. Um, so we've, um, grown advertising in the, in the Pinterest space over the last even six months, I would say. And just really watching that performance very closely on a weekly basis, adjusting our strategy, you know, uploading new content. We know that new creative is what tends to perform well. And so that's something that our creative team is really focused on. We were just about running out of time, but I wanted to talk a little about sort of the future, 2023, what's coming up ahead. So what are what are your big growth plans or goals for the year? Is it just uh, going into new territories? You mentioned that there might be a store in the U.S. What, what what should I expect to see on the horizon? Yeah, so we will continue to push in the markets that we're currently in and in, in Canada. So, you know, in Canada, that's BC and Ontario and Alberta is a market that's growing for us. We'll be opening a Calgary showroom um, come spring. And then really continuing to do a push in the U.S. We had a couple of pop-ups, one in New York and one in L.A. in 2022. And so we hope to have a combination of some sort of physical activation in the U.S. again in 2023. Um, Hopefully a New York one coming up in, in the summer, which would be awesome. Let me know. I'll come. Uh, anything that to add, That would be Mo? amazing. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think Barbara covered it. And I think just uh, as, you know, remaining, remaining curated is going to be important for us. So I know sometimes it's, it's easy to try to go after sales by continuing to add more and more and more product. But uh, for us, we really want to continue to remain focused and, um, and curated with our selection. Got it. Well, Barbara, Mo, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much, Kale. Thank you, Kale. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Bye.